0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and at 1280 the zone. Craig Bullerjack's going to be here at 8.30, followed by Joe Ingles about 8.45, 8.50, right in there. We'll be talking pro basketball with those guys in life. But a little college sports right now, PK, because the NBA, we see the season shifting. We know it may move enough to shift next season. And if that works, there's a thought the NBA might just stay with it. And... Avoid the NFL and own the rest of the calendar, and uh, avoid the big dog, and uh, and and do their thing from December to July or August, something like that. So, see any more changes out there? Anything else you want to make happen?
1: Yeah, I think that the colleges should use this opportunity. Individual conferences, individual schools, the sports collectively to really see what they can do to make it better because so much of this has been forced upon us, right? And we've got to adapt. Well, some of these adaptations, I guess you could say, might actually be worth it to keep. And we've talked about them a little bit.
0: Well, I think that uh, some of the adaptations... um Actually, there's some adaptations that happen over time that I'd like to see them just reverse. The college basketball season used to start at Thanksgiving, and I was fine with that. And I don't know what the motivation was, but they moved the games so that now they can start in early November instead of starting at the end of November on Thanksgiving weekend. This past year, the Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, I think they'll start on like November 5th. And in the middle of football, I don't get the point. We saw golf revamp its schedule, you know, move the PGA, move the playoffs, to basically put not just their, foremost, their four best tournaments, the majors, but to put their 15 or 20 best tournaments uh, so that they didn't conflict with the NFL. They even start their season in January and play at night so they don't conflict with NFL playoff games. Now, the Wild Card Weekend has expanded, and we're going to have primetime games on Saturday and Sunday because we've got more teams in the playoffs, and I expect golf will shift their schedule by one week to adapt to that. Basketball moves, I think college basketball has, has, got, to move, has got to move back. There, there is, to me, there is no point in playing all those games in November once or twice a week in November playing at what six games or whatever when college football is reaching the most interesting part of the season you know you've you've you spend September with eh, most schools will play one or two interesting games in September and so October kind of sets up the conference races and November it's on and there's big games all over the schedule and college basketball starts I, I don't get that so I think that's one thing um, you know to the broader point of reassessing everything, not just the schedule, but conference and the way things do this. And um, John Kenzano wrote about this in Oregon, and we had him on, and you were just referencing it a couple days ago. Uh, in these trying financial times, you know, why is the Pac-12 blowing money on literally the most expensive real estate they can get? So the sooner they leave San Francisco, especially the heart of the financial district, the better. You know, if you think you need corporate offices there because you need the three or four executives to be uh, meeting with all the companies around them, well, you haven't really cashed in on that over the last decade, but that they anchored the whole TV network was just ridiculous. They should have found much less expensive space. So that's that's more low-hanging fruit to pick right there.
1: Uh, Very much easily so, I might add.
0: I don't know what office space goes for in Phoenix or in Salt Lake, but it's, it's way cheaper than the heart of San Francisco. They were in Walnut Creek for years. We used to get press releases. At least they were in the suburbs in the Bay Area, and it was less expensive, but there's blowing through money there. What do you think about moving the college basketball schedule or something else you want to do?
1: Moving it, uh, you have anything in mind? Or did you just throw that out there? Uh,
0: well, it used to start on Thanksgiving, <clears throat> and then they moved it to November 5th, and I don't get it because that November – there's big college football games all over the schedule. Why would why would basketball start then? That doesn't make well, any sense.
1: Well, they have a specific reason. That's Scotty G's birthday, so that's why they do it. Scotty G can find other ways to celebrate his birthday. Yeah, but can we? Yeah. yes. He talks about <laughs> he talks about his days as a fullback in high school, but most people don't know he was a power forward in in basketball too. <laughs>
0: You going back old to the old uh, Rick Majerus line, Rick the pick, that kind of stuff? That's where you're going there?
1: <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I mean, he's – I don't want to say he's let himself go, but, you know, he was he was a finely-tuned machine back at 17 years of age. So, um, I think that what are their financial benefits from moving the season up? I would have to look at that. And uh, did they move it up to get more money because – it is a business, obviously, and if you find ways to make the money, well, then I can I can live with that. I I think that w- Chris Hill, when we had him on, was a couple of weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, interesting, you know, that Greg Hanson, he he writes uh, sports columns for the Tucson paper. We've had him on the show. Yep. Well, he and he's from Utah, so he has a natural interest in things going on in the state. Well, he took that interview that we did and he wrote one of his columns on it quoting Chris Hill uh, extensively about all the basically the excess that they have going on. And he was talking about, uh, do, do we really need all this stuff? You can recall what Chris was saying. And so t- talking about how the recruiting for basketball, how guys go down and you can't have contact, but you just you, you, you stand in the lobby of a hotel and they try to bump into somebody. Mm-hmm. So they see you and you got your shirt. I mean, I've literally seen the highest of the highest profile college coaches milling around the lobby in the South Point Hotel in Vegas, which. By the name of it, you know, it's on the Strip, uh, technically on Las Vegas Boulevard, but it's way south of the, the Mandalay Bay, which would be the southernmost uh, hotel on the Strip. And it's a couple of miles south of that. And uh, so the, they have activities, they have bowling alleys and stuff. So a lot of youth sports and AAU teams, they like to stay there at that hotel and so you'll see – and I've been there and I've seen these coaches just milling around to be seen by a 16- and 17-year-old. Well, I mean, you take some – and these are coaches from the ACC. And so, you know, it's not just drive down there. It's fly out there and all that stuff. And do we really need to do that? Are there ways in the, that we can cut back or they can cut back to still maintain the integrity of the sports but stop this ridiculous arms race that is going on on all levels It's just out of control. And then Chris even said, do we need fill-in-the-blank sports at the collegiate level? You know, And I don't like it when any sports are reduced or eliminated, men or women, and I don't care who it is, but do we really need them at the college level? And do we need these coaches in -in fill-in-the-blank sports recruiting internationally? Because I would imagine that that takes more money. And so are there ways that... We can trim a whole bunch of stuff, still allow it to happen, because I would hate for any sports to be cut, but maybe it needs to come to that too because, you know, you're asking in many cases students to have student fees, and I know they do it at ASU. They have student fees to help out with the athletics. And, you know, are they not paying enough to go to these schools as it is? And so now you've got to pay – you may – you may be Mary Jones who has no interest in sports whatsoever, but if you're going to ASU, you're required to pay some type of fee for these things. Do we really need that stuff? That's why I think that this this thing there, I mean, obviously, this is a horrible situation for all of us, and nobody wants it by any stretch, and literally people are dying, but... If there can be something good from coming up from the collegiate standpoint, can it be a reflection upon, well, we were just doing these things and this stuff has gotten out of hand. And so now we can go back and find ways to make it a little more cost effective. And so maybe something good can come from all this stuff that's horrific.
0: You know, uh, Chris shared with us, and I'm sure we can all guess how much more colorful it was in person, but the old uh, bag of poop theory, you know, they've got it, so I've got to do it. You know, this guy's out there standing in this hotel for a week, so i got to be out there standing in this hotel lobby for a week. I have to be in this hallway in this high school gym because that's how the team walks to the locker room at halftime, and he needs to see, you know, fill in the blank, because it's not just the head coaches are flying all over the place, the assistant coaches are flying all over the place. You know, and they got to be in the school colors with the logo and all that. And, you know, there is a lot of that to pull back on. I think one of the other costs is, you know, how many out-of-state scholarships do you have? Now, I think in 47 states they'll say, well, we've got to have the out-of-state scholarships because otherwise California, Texas, and Florida win all the time. Yeah. But the fact is, even when you just look at the size of a team, until you drill down and look at a roster and see who's from which state – you don't realize how much more money you need for an out-of-state scholarship than an in-state scholarship. A school that can be ten or fifteen grand in-state can be fifty grand out-of-state, and then you start multiplying that times how many athletes, depending on you know the sports that each school has. Uh, there, there's a lot of money in there, and you don't think about it.
1: Fans don't. Oh, so that would be cool. I got you. Instead of trying to get a scholarship so you move your kid into the Lone Peak area, you'd move your kid to North Dakota. See? (laughs) Right? (laughs) The California
0: family would move to Nevada or Utah. (laughs) The Utah family would move to Idaho, Wyoming, or the Dakotas.
1: In search of that... Elusive scholarship that you spend fifty thousand to try to. Oh yeah, you lose fifty grand in real <laughs> estate, but you got a fifty
0: grand. You have fifty grand in the scholarship.
1: That's that's a genius idea there to set that up. Yeah. It, it's crazy what what parents will do, what they think are in the best interest of the child. And you know, there's no manual that says do this and this and this, and you your 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 oldest child is the guinea pig. He or she is a, a sacrificial lamb by the time you get down to me and my family well, when I was growing up and I was the third actually the fourth but the third living um, that my parents man they they pretty much had it <laughs> so just whatever you know, just make sure when we make sure when we wake up in the morning you're here <laughs> <laughs> So my my older sisters just complained about uh, all the stuff that I got away with when I was a kid, and I I don't remember. They were way older than me, and so I didn't, I wasn't aware. You know, when I was uh, seven, they were seventeen. And so, I, you know, I had no concept of what was going on at that point. But they they managed to fill me in as I got a little older, <laughs> yeah. that's for sure, as the ru- far as uh, what they had yeah. to go through. Yeah, the rules they faced and the rules you faced. Were two different things, there's yeah. no question about it. And, you know, my parents were a little old-fashioned in that way. And, and uh, the word was that females were brought up in a stricter, more strict environment than the male. And, and obviously, they're they were females, so... But yeah, I think that this is a this is an opportunity to reevaluate everything. And it's an easy opportunity and it's presented itself in a manner that calls for let's just renew everything, especially now too, you know, when there's not that these guys, these coaches, and these athletic administrators, I don't think right now they're sitting back uh, with their feet up uh, without uh, doing anything. I think they're working just as diligently. And the fact is they could probably take six months off and not do anything and still put in a full year because I think they work outrageous hours for a particular, particularly coaches in, in they, they, Those guys, you know, we know we've heard the stories of sleeping in the offices with the cots and all that. And so they grind to, to an outrageous level. So I'm not worried about them not working enough because they work so much as it is. But I do think that they may have a little bit more time to focus on stuff that maybe they didn't have the time to focus on because in the day-to-day stuff you're just trying to keep your head above water well now we don't have a lot of stuff going on literally to where you have to go attend this event that event which takes up a big chunk of your day so maybe now you can get together and have some form but the thing about it is the thing that i don't necessarily hold out a whole lot of hope is because there's really no commissioner for college football. There's no commissioner for any of these sports. And so you already said about you know, the bag-of-crap theory that if, they, if School A has a bag of crap, well, we need to get it because we got to keep up. And so no one, is, no one wants to blink because you fall behind. And as I look at some of this stuff that's going on, I mean, we're in this business, and so we love it, and we want it to succeed and flourish. But you look at some of this stuff, and you see, man, this is really outrageous. Do we need all of this stuff? But nobody wants to be without as long as somebody is with, because then if you're without, that puts you at a disadvantage. Nobody wants a competitive
0: disadvantage. But as you always say, follow the money. Follow the money, people. And uh, Chris Vanini writes for The Athletic, and just while you were talking, hit refresh on Twitter, and this tweet pops up. A survey of 100-plus athletic directors shows 35% of them are expecting a revenue drop of at least 30% in 2020 and 2021, which is the next school year. They're preparing for a year that could fundamentally reshape college sports, quote, I think every facet of society is going to change as a result of this. And then there's a the link to the story. So I don't know who issued the quote, but I assume it's one of the ads. So it goes to your point. If you think you're going to lose 30% of your money, you think about it. It's not just a football thing, although it is a football thing. But you know football renewals uh, from people who are nervous about the way their business is going, the way their job or industry is going. You can see why people would think about, do I really want to renew the football tickets right now? That's a pretty big check. And... I don't think Utah's alone, but Mark Harlan did say during the interview, we've pushed back our renewal date by a month so that people have a chance to assess their situation. Well, that just screams right there that we don't have the renewal rate we usually have, and the Utes is usually awesome. I and mean, They usually send out a press release about 98% yeah. of the people re-upping or something like right. that. I mean, it's just off the charts, the enthusiasm around their program. So if a program that's that red hot When it comes to season ticket renewals, it's pushing a date back a month. You can imagine a school like UCLA, Stanford, I mean, they were playing maybe 25% capacity. Why would you buy season tickets if you know you can just walk up and buy a ticket? And at both those stadiums, you can just walk up and buy a ticket. So why spring for the season tickets? You know? So, and then on top of that, your big money donors are they invested in the stock market or do they own a business that's taking a hit? So it's easy to see why they're foca- uh, look, forecasting on a revenue drop of 30%. And it says 35%, so not everyone thinks it'll be that, but there's another percentage that thinks it'll be 20%. Another thing that, another percentage of things, it'll be 10%. and 10% is a significant chunk, too. So it still sets up for, hey, maybe we could all slash our recruiting budgets just by increasing the blackout dates and not letting these guys be on the road as much. And I use guys, you know, in terms of uh, but both the go male ahead. and female coaches. Everybody, let's not recruit on the road as much. you got to do some because you got to go out and meet people at some point. But winnow the field using video and FaceTime. I just saw an interview with Gary Anderson where he was talking. I, I think it was the Tribune that did it. Um, where he was talking about nothing compares to face-to-face. Okay, but instead of you're going to sign 25, instead of going out and face-to-face with 100, can you go out face-to-face with 50 or 60? and save some money and stay off the road for another week. And that's a week of hotels and who knows how many more flights.
1: Right. I mean, that's a simple, easy way. I think Mark Pope even said that, too, that he's got to sign players. You know, he can't sign players that don't have uh, – that he hasn't seen them Mm face-to-face. That's just unheard of. I I would also look at the coaches' salaries. You know, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here, which I do frequently. But, you know, we've criticized BYU for not willing to pay the market price – for coaches and all that stuff and so now as I think about it you know maybe they have it right by not going you take a look at one of our coaches here in town making four million bucks and then he gets a, a five hundred thousand dollar plus bonus because they won a division they played in a conference title game they went to a bowl game blah 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 all this stuff You know, do they need that? Because they're getting cars, they're getting country club memberships, uh, they're getting vacation allowances. I mean, this is outrageous to coach a sport. They They just, you know, more power to them because they don't make the rules. And if I was in that situation, I would certainly want it too. So I'm not criticizing the individual for taking it. But do we really need to lavish all this stuff upon them? Uh, with these salaries, and then they're already making an enormous salary, and they ha- they make more in bonuses than 95% of the people will make in a, in a given year, in a given two or three years. And are there ways that you can trim that back, too? Do we have to keep going and going and going to the point now, uh, it, is any of us going to be surprised in X amount of years they're gonna be paying some head coach as a base salary, ten million dollars to coach a football team?
0: Well, it seemed clearly that's where things were trending. So that that's not a leap yeah. at all, because we saw the numbers go to five million to six million to seven million. So, right, they were trending to ten. Now the question here is with a revenue drop of thirty percent in twenty twenty-one, does it bounce back fully the next year? Does it bounce back partially? You know, so I wouldn't be surprised in the short run if we see some of the higher profile coaches who've been rolling in big contracts for a long time make a big one-time donation to the school and basically just put that money back in. It wouldn't shock me. It goes back to what you said the last hour when we were talking about the movies. What's a politically correct thing to do? If you're going out and recruiting people who've really been impacted by this, you at least want to be seen as doing something, right? There's some level of, and I mean, if you're making three or four or six million or whatever it is, and you give back half a million or a million, you're not exactly in the poorhouse. And yet, a 30% drop on a $100 million budget, which is a little high end for Power Five, I think. Maybe it's middle for Power Five, but let's just use it because it's an easy number. You got a $100 million budget. If you've got a 20 or 30% drop, it's 20 or 30 million. So, for the coach to step up and say, well, here's the first million. Or here's the first half million or a million and a half, depending on the coach and how much they're making. that doesn't seem outrageous. You know for the quarter coordinator who's making three quarters of a million or a million to give back a hundred grand doesn't seem outrageous.
1: No, it does not. It just makes me wonder how much are you going to give back to channel two because I know there's a lot of excess there in your in your situation. I think in those situations you're going to see, in all
0: seriousness, I think you're going to see people if this – Paycheck is why I live in Utah. If this keeps going, <laughs> you'll see people You'll see people take a bump. In, like the coach who takes that will also get a year or two added to the end of their contract. You saved a school 600 <laughs> the school six hundred grand. 600000 oh. <laughs> Hit all the money drops now, Yuck. All right, but I, I do think you'll also see that. In addition to the coach who gives it back, you'll see the coach take the cut and take an extension at the same time. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Call Action Plumbing for your plumbing, heating, air, and electrical needs. Call 801-833-3333 or go to actionplumbing.net. Krog
2: Bowler Jacks coming up next. This, this this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's
1: what you want. George Niang joins us. You've got guys that are making thirty-two million, and then you got guys that are making minimum in the league, and their mindsets are different. Is it gonna to be tough to get everybody on the same page to get this season moving forward?
3: Uh you know, if if you haven't noticed, Hans, uh NBA players love their money. Let me tell you about that. <laughs> if we have a chance to play, guys are gonna be playing. You know, guys don't want to see money left on the table, and I think you gotta be able to, you know, stretch it out and try to do as much as you can to make sure that we play the games without, you know, interrupting, you know, people's health and disrupting lifestyles. But, you know, I think guys are really eager to play, especially, you know, when you're sitting at home. And I know guys have wives and kids that I'm sure that they love, but I'm sure they're excited to get out of the house when this all goes down
2: catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, we are joined now by Craig Bowler-Jack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. Bowler joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Bowler, good morning. Hey guys, how are you? Doing well. You know, Buller, one thing I always think about you and, and guys like David Locke and, and you know the analysts you guys work with is you're in the arena a long time before the game starts. And you see a lot of the same people and you know people in other clubs and there's familiar faces and you just talk about stuff that's going on. And it's not really newsworthy at the time. But when you look back, sometimes it is newsworthy because it's a foreshadowing of what really is kind of evolving inside the business. And so now as people talk about the NBA finishing up in the summer, maybe so late, that pushes the start of the next season back a month or two. Suddenly there's a December to July or August calendar there. And if it works, it takes them away from the NFL. Presumably it gives them a chance to make more money and not compete head-to-head with the NFL in so many markets. Is this something that, you know, three years ago someone was thinking about in an arena and just killing time at 5.30 before a 7 o'clock game or 4.40 before a 7 o'clock game? Is this something you've heard of, or is this really a recent development?
4: I think it's really more of a recent development, you know, because of the circumstances. I mean, I think there's always conversations of uh, what-ifs and what do you think of this idea, I mean, I think everybody kind of noodles around all sorts of different things, but, you know, last, uh, just months ago, before uh, the coronavirus, you know, the talk was about make you know, maybe the thought of doing mid-season tournament type, you know, uh, scenarios, Uh, that was intriguing, and now you have to start thinking about if we do play sometime later on in the summer or early fall, how does that impact the beginning of next season, so, you know, I think we just have to wait, obviously, until uh, we see the curve of this virus turn downward and we get a a, a long period of, of flat, you know, time. And I think health, again, comes into the most important play, uh, you know, through this whole equation of what, what the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball will do. it's uh, It's kind of a day-by-day scenario, no doubt.
1: So many folks, you know, you reach whatever level you reach in your particular field, whatever that might be, and you got there because of your diligence. You put in the time as you're growing up and then you get the job, you put in the time, you get improvements and promotions, you put in the time. So my point for you is these coaches and these folks, so many of them that are involved now because staffs are huge compared to where they used to be, they're used to putting in the time. It's just in their DNA. You know, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves if they didn't have their jobs at hand. You know, you get vacation, but now's not the time you'd be, be, be vacationing anyway. So I'm wondering because they don't necessarily know what to do with themselves now, what do you hear that the coaches are doing with themselves? Because I'm sure they just don't want to be wasting time here.
4: You know, I got a really good answer to that, and I found out yesterday uh, during our pregame that we're doing prior to Jazz playback, we actually had Donovan on. And Matt asked him that same question, and the three of us had a really fun conversation. It was good to see Donovan, by the way, via Skype, Zoom. And, you know, he actually has been talking to coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, because those guys will really play a big factor in how these all these players um, try to at least stay in some shape. And then, of course, when they get back on the floor, how long will it take? For the players or the league to get back into playing shape, and that's a concern, obviously, because you don't want to have to deal with injury after all this. But uh, Donovan is in. I, from what I understood, you know, he's in contact with the, the strength and conditioning coaches. I think they've mapped out uh, regiments for the players, as he mentioned to us, uh, to just you know try to stay in shape. Uh, Eat the right foods. The Jazz are very particular. All NBA teams are on calorie intake. You see that when we travel and fly, and of course at the Zions Bank Basketball Campus, you know uh, special foods are made for athletes now to burn certain calories, and it's it's a science, guys. It really is. And so this is probably one of the biggest tests uh, that all the NBA trainers uh, and coaches. Uh, are under undergoing, trying to stay in contact with their players and making sure they continue to try to stay in some sort of, you know, formidable shape. Because you never know, you know, you, you want to try to build up to the return when that happens. It will one day, but when that is, I don't know. So it's kind of just a hit and miss, I believe. But Donovan was, I think, really upbeat. Uh, he's trying to, you know, hit the treadmill and just trying to do things that would keep him in better shape than me i know i know that so uh and all of us but i think it's just a science that is being tested right now and uh i think the players are are very much in contact uh, with their coaches and training staff on a daily or, or weekly basis
0: i assume that most of the coaching staffs most teams know you know one or two and they broaden out maybe three or four, but probably one or two teams are going to play in the first round of the playoffs. And now mm-hmm. they've got time to study those two in depth on film. And maybe even look at that third and fourth team just in case something crazy happens in places where the race is really congested. I assume coaches are, uh, are deep in film trying to get an edge for the playoff series that aren't that far away whenever they start playing again right
4: you know the jazz uh, had 18 i believe 18 to play and that was uh the oklahoma city game and strangely enough the four or five if that's where the nba would decide to pick up the season just in the postseason play then that's your first round opponent would be a a home uh and away series uh, with a home court advantage of the jazz in round one as uh, the four and five now if they you know decide to Trim away some of the non-division games down the stretch, then maybe you get a ten-game play, ten-game uh, season into the playoffs. You never know. I'm sure there's multiple models that the NBA front office is discussing and continue to, to plot. But again, I think it changes on a daily basis. As long as uh, the virus is is where it is today, I mean, New York is the hot spot, and that's where you hope that things start to settle down sooner than later. And, uh, again, I think there's multiple scenarios, but really you can't pin anything until uh, until things get much, much better.
1: I'm fine with whatever they decide. I really don't care as long as it comes back in some form, even if it's a modified form. But what do you think about these rumors we're hearing about getting everybody in Vegas and doing it that way?
4: Man, PK, that's another interesting one. You know, everyone has theories, and I've heard multiple ones, and that's the biggest one is to say let's – I'm not so sure if you want to put everybody into one place when you've been preaching, you know, to to have proximity and and give people space. That's – and it sounds pretty like a big undertaking. But also, though, I will say this in the broadcast sense, if there's just one building – and you just had one broadcast. Basically, now you can play in two buildings: the Cox Pavilion and and Thomas and Mack. I'm not sure if that's if, if that's the scenario, but you could probably, like summer league, bounce those games and get quite a few games played. Whether it's noon to you know four six, whatever you do um, and how you play them, but it's intriguing. I'm not sure if it's it's something that you want to do, but again. Uh, Leave it up to the experts, I guess, when they decide to make the call.
0: Yeah, I've also uh, heard speculation that they could use other courts and rent out the whole MGM or the whole Orleans or something. Yeah, true. And so you could have four games going on at a time, so you could play eight or 12 games in a day if you chose. So it seems like the options are out there. You know, one thing I read was that it went largely unnoticed, But that in the um, state of the league, state of the sport address, the commissioner does, that Adam Silver mentioned the coronavirus in passing in his All-Star Week remarks. And so when I hear that, that's a little hint about how many things they're thinking about. You know, they've obviously got ties with China, and they heard what was happening in China, so they're working on stuff all the time. Now, in retrospect, maybe it should have been story number one at the All-Star break, but it wasn't. And it only got mentioned afterwards, but one of the reporters who was there went up and, and dug it up and, and mentioned it a couple weeks ago. So I guess that kind of goes to the point of how many things the league office is juggling all at once.
4: Oh yeah, it's, I, I can't imagine uh, again the scenarios and the da- daily briefings that they get uh, and again, knowing that the NBA was impacted to such a high degree and then other you know leagues followed. I mean they're kind of maybe in their own minds in the forefront of just the, the whole process. Uh, of, of where we go from here. So maybe in, in that regard, Adam Silver is the leader in, in the the return to, to major professional sports in, in many ways. So, you know, I it's I don't know if, you know, you can go back and, and look at it, and even though Commissioner Silver said and mentioned it, as you mentioned, during the All-Star break, that was, it, it happened so quickly, too. I mean, we heard about it, and there was, you know, we remember we discussed this prior to, uh, to the shutdown, you know about maybe playing in front of empty arenas, and that would be one way to protect, you know, the players and, and maybe get through the scenario. But then it just escalated to such a high degree, and here we are today. Uh, I think it just it just was like a wave; it rolled through, and all the scenarios that were just were discussed never came to fruition because it just it just happened, guys, so fast. And here we are today. It's hard to believe we're in Oklahoma City uh three weeks ago yesterday and it feels like six weeks uh, it really has the month the month of march if i don't know how you guys felt but for me that was one of the longest months of my life uh, just waiting and waiting and here we are in april now and instead of talking about potential playoff pairings we're all in this waiting mode and i know it frustrates a lot of people
1: so, obviously, this situation is far more serious than the lockouts that they've had over the years. Absolutely. In terms of, yeah, no, there's no question about it. But in terms of restarting the league, whenever that might be, how much do you think that the experience of having the lockouts can benefit the league to be able to go at a fairly quick basis because they basically already had that, this is me, a much more serious than a lockout, but they've gone yeah, that's, through... Starting it up again when they didn't know. Yeah, when that's it was a good
4: point. Yeah, you know they do have experience on how to restart, right? So uh, that's one model they have to reach back at and potentially pitch to the owners and the players' association and say, "Look, here's what we like to do." And I'm sure the players' association will be very involved, as they always are, and making to protect the players, but also giving, you know, the, the guys time to get back on the floor, uh, remesh. Uh, I think most of these guys obviously are true professionals and uh, uh, health on their side, hopefully they can adjust fairly quickly. Uh, but I think again though, the caution this time, PK, I think will be a little higher just because of the circumstance, right? I mean, yeah, viruses probably, that's a scary word, and obviously you know we know how uh, devastating it's been. Uh, but I think it's all fluid. Uh, and until they get on the floor, what they need to actually l- legitimately be back in plain shape and you don't want a series of hamstrings and quads and ankles and Achilles and all those things have got to be a major concern, too, and making sure they, they kind of work themselves back into that, that level. So, man, it's that those are all great questions. And, again, I'm sure the computer models are, are are hard at work trying to figure that out because as you know guys we're in a world of stats and feeding numbers and getting computer readouts on what you know how the body's going to react but I think too you have to, there's still the, the human factor here how do you feel <clears throat> are you ready to go and you have to trust yourself too and, you're, and I think no one knows their body better than the athlete no one knows their body better than you and I uh, of how we're feeling and I think that has to come into play and, and part of the equation too
0: Bowler, we appreciate a few minutes.
4: Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. I know Joe's coming on. Uh, Here's a sad uh, thing, but I'm starting to drink coffee. I I don't know what's going on here. um, (laughs) I've never drank coffee before, but Joe's got me kind of intrigued about it, so I'm I'm trying it out. But that's the Joe Ingles factor, the fun fact of the day.
0: And that brings us to Joe Ingles.
2: hey Joe. And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jets. Yes. Jingle bells. Yeah. Joe Ingles.
1: Thunder. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams
2: it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. Thunder. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <coughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network.
0: The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply for all your plumbing and irrigation needs. Go to mountainlandsupply.com. Joe, good morning. Good morning. So you've done it. You've broken Buller Jack down. You're getting him to try I coffee. I just heard
3: that. I'm surprised with how old he is and how uh, often and how long he's done that broadcast. He, I, I know he's been. I know he's had some late nights and some early mornings. I'm surprised he. Hasn't got on the coffee bandwagon earlier.
1: <laughs> Who knew? Maybe now it took all this situation to do that. And you've been a big advocate of coffee yourself. Is that something that is unique to you, or is it more of an Australian thing?
3: Um, I think the culture, like kind of the, um, I guess I'd like the cafe scene in Australia is. Probably one of the, one of my favorite things about Australia, the food and the cafes and the coffee and, um, a bit of, I guess the culture of like when you go and catch up with people, it's like, let's go get a coffee. You go and sit at a cafe and people, lots of people drink, obviously teas and whatever too, but like coffee. And I know a lot of my good friends, or probably all of them are all pretty big coffee drinkers too. And, um, I mean, the coffee's great in Australia. Um, so it's an easy thing to. You can nearly go to any corner and there's a, a little cafe, and every kind of suburb or area that you live in has them on the on the corners. These tiny little, sometimes they're like houses converted into little cafes, and um, yeah. I mean, I started at a, at a young age and went to Europe when I was young, and coffee in Europe is is obviously a pretty big thing too. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a. Um, Pretty important part of my life.
0: (laughs) So you say the coffee's good in Australia. That left me thinking you think it doesn't quite match up in the U.S. But the U.S. is a big place, and you travel all over for the NBA, obviously. So how does the coffee compare here, especially in a place like Seattle that's got a rep for it, or Salt Lake, or wherever else?
3: There's There's some really, really, really good spots in America, I think, um... Uh, I think you get it. You get good coffee depending on or or the bad coffee depending on where you go. If you go to one of those kind of typical like American diners and they just like slop that like you want some more coffee, slops of like disgusting like preheat that that stuff's not good, but like Utah's got Campos and Public, which are both unbelievable. Um, there's a place in San Francisco that I love that we stay right right near a tiny little place like a little like literally like a window in the wall that you wouldn't even notice and so it's definitely I mean it's definitely you can definitely get good good coffee here. It's just you have to know where to go. But on the flip side of that, a lot of people like drinking that coffee from a diner. So if that's your thing then go and go to Denny's and enjoy it, but I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna stick to Campos. <laughs>
1: So do I sense in the coming years we're going to have an Ingalls Coffee Cafe in Melbourne?
3: Um, it's funny. so Like we've, we've me and Renee Renee's a, a, a coffee drinker too and like I said, that senior in Australia of, of meeting your friends and sitting outside and um, 90, 90% of them have really good food as well. You can get a nice healthy sandwich or meal or whatever. and um, It's always something we've, we've talked about and Um, Like I said, it's something that we we both really enjoy. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we went down that path one day and decided to do it, but we also would never do it without living close to wherever. And we wanted to open it because we would want to be hands-on and actually kind of have a part of of running it. So we've talked about it for for years. And the other thing is a gym, which obviously Renee with... Um, she's got all her courses and certificates in personal training and um, she's got a degree and, and everything so um, that's the other thing we've we've tossed up um, what we would do or potentially open
0: Joe Ingalls join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone today is World Autism Awareness Day it's the 13th annual World Autism Awareness Day uh, I, I'm curious you know what what would this have meant to you, say five years ago, and and what does it
3: mean to you now? Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously changed pretty significantly. I right? um, the last couple of years of obviously finding out Jacob's diagnosis, and um, it's funny because we even with the jazz and playing the, the autism game, we've done that for a few years, and um, you obviously have you. You, you, you know how meaningful it is to, to, to people and, and obviously to families and people that are really close to, it, to autism but um, so I would always play the game and obviously enjoy it and talk to the kids and try and do um, whatever you could but obviously then once you get touched by it it, it, it kind of opens up a whole new door to, to what you want to do and how you want to help and um, like you said it's kind of when Jacob found out like we've always known people with autism, we've, we've known people personally, we've seen kids, we've seen adults, you you've seen, you see it a lot. It's obviously so common. Um, but you try and help them and you kind of just move on with your day. And like I said, when you touch with it uh, by, uh, immediately kind of to your family or someone you know close, um, that door just opens up. And I mean, since we found out, it's it's been our... Um, our goal to to push the the awareness and the acceptance and um, that's what we're all about we obviously first and foremost make sure Jacob and and Miller are are okay and and Jacob's got what he needs to do and therapy wise he's in the right places and then everything else is about the the awareness and acceptance and um, obviously it's Autism Awareness um, Day today but it's also throughout April is, is Autism Awareness Month so um, I tweeted last night that I'm going to be absolutely flooding my timelines with other people. I think it's so important for other people to, be able to get their stories out. I'm very lucky with the platform that I've got that, I, that, that people listen to me, as silly as it might be sometimes. Um, but I can say what I want and people are going to respond. So my, my goal this month and, and obviously moving forward is to, to really help these other people get their stories out there um, that feel comfortable sharing them.
1: Yeah, autism, to me, if you know anybody who has it, and I have a friend who has a son and he's pushing his teenage years and has yet to speak, it's always been the most mysterious, intriguing thing because you have a kid and you think the kid is normal and then you compare the kid to... Uh, activities that they should be doing given a certain age and then you had it where it's extremely unique in that you literally can compare every day in your own home because it was the a twin situation yeah. and then you figure it out and you get the diagnosis and you Uh, Went through all that and then you put the child in rehab and then I follow your social media stuff And you say that the child has been making great progress with this rehab and this rehab has really been intriguing to me How some kids respond to it in, in one way and other kids respond to it in different ways in terms of your son? What has been going on? literally with this rehab or third I'm not rehab maybe therapy is the better word yeah I was, the gonna, therapy. I was gonna change that at the end yeah. of I was gonna let you finish the yeah. question yeah I got going there and I got a little a <laughs> little out of control but the no, therapy is so interesting to me and how kids respond to it and why has the therapy been so successful for your son
3: yeah, um, it's a great question and, and something that we get asked all the time because obviously we're we're very public with with Jacob and how he's going and and Renee with people the people that follow Renee Renee is probably even more kind of open than I am with the good days and the bad days and um, what she does on a day to day basis to not only Jacob but also Miller and um, I, I guess the the, the hard part is that, um, as someone wrote it to me this morning, um, they were preparing to, to tell their family and friends today about their daughter. They've never told me one. And um, he was asking me, he wrote a, a story out or a thing he was going to post and asked me to comment on it. And I was reading this thing. And the, the hardest part is every kid is so different. And every kid is going to respond differently to different things. And we tried. We did, and we started with that therapy at home for Jacob, um, and it was no good. He, we thought he was doing all right in it, and um, it was a, it was right after we found out, and it was the first thing we could get him into. So we're like, let's just get him into something, and he could start. Um, by the time we went back to Australia that summer, he was going to a therapy, like a an actual school uh, where everyone you drop your kid off like a, a regular school and you see them later that day so that worked a lot better for him um so obviously as soon as we, moved back, you know, we put him into to a, a school so we drop him like we do Miller, and we pick him up at, in the afternoon and it, it takes time once you it, it's such a weird process because you get told this diagnosis and, and obviously your world at the time is kind of flipped upside down and you're reading all this stuff on the internet, listening to other people, and um, I think the listening to other people is is really good. I think you're not getting, like I said, every kid is different, but everyone's tried everything. Like people are going to give you their what what has worked and what hasn't, and yeah, it's up to you. We we filter through things that people have have told us to do, or what's worked for their kid, and it's not about shutting it off and saying like it's different or. There's no way Jacob's going to respond to that. But you you filter through these things and you, you pick and choose what you think. You, you know your kid better than anyone. You, you pick and choose and filter through what you think might work for your child. And we've had some things from like random people and from people we know that some of these things have changed Jacob's life. Um, and we're, like I said, kind of two years in now. And, um, jacob is like it's just unbelievable like he everything his mum like asking us questions and using our names and asking for help and his therapy now is um like animal now animal sounds and colors and just just from six months ago he's a he's a completely different child in terms of of his understanding and knowledge and i think you've as hard as it is at the start you've You've really got to lock in, and I'm oh, well, obviously, with the season going on, when we found out Renee was was unbelievable, and um, just finding out every option you can possibly do, and then obviously, like I said, you know your child better than anyone. You you put them into whatever you think is going to be the best for them, and if it doesn't work, you try something else. It's it's a bit of a game of of trying to figure it out, and when you do, um, you find you find your kid. Um, Changing for for obviously for for the better for themselves so quickly.
0: So I'm curious because just in the last 24 hours they've seen so much directed you at you at Twitter on Twitter, and I'm sure that you have letters written to you and people stop you when you're around town doing whatever you're doing. And so, yeah. do you find this uh, energizing that you're helping people with this issue? Does it sometimes wear on you and it's fatiguing and you got to step back and just? You know take a deep breath and let it go for a little while or is it a combination of both depending on the week and who you're running into and what yeah. their stories are no it's, it's
3: definitely way 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 more energizing and good than 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 the weight on my shoulders or anything i think when we 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 like no one will ever understand how how heavily we debated whether we go public with it or not or we deal with it as a family and um the, the reason we went public was for that reason you said is, is to help other people and um, like I said without platforms to be able to give people a voice and um, the awareness and the acceptance and, and all of that is, is why we did it and I guess like you said it's a bit of a responsibility because you have all these followers on social media and they, they ask you questions about it and I'm definitely nowhere near as good as Renee at, at kind of responding and and, and I guess trying to help as many people, but I do when I can. And, um, obviously this month, like I've said on, on Twitter last night, like I'm going to really, really push it out there. And, um, we're we're just lucky that we're in a position to do that. I think the part that
2: that
3: is that the hardest part is when you're dealing with your, your, your own, like for us, Jacob's having a rough day or a rough week at school or, um, Even at home with with Miller and trying to incorporate and for for her to understand what, what, like she'll run around and like scream and play, but the the, the screaming for Jacob is something that really affects him and he'll get really mad and then they start fighting and it's it's not just Jacob understanding, but also explaining to Miller that like, hey, when you're playing with him, you just, she gets so excited um, you just got to keep the volume down a little bit and it's hard for a, a three-year-old sister that wants to just play with her brother to, to understand that sometimes so um, yeah it's, it's definitely I mean we love helping people There's, it's unbelievable, how like, like I've missed pre-game shooting um, sometimes because someone has come from the crowd and said their son or daughter's autistic and I've sat on the sideline and, and spoke to them for 20 minutes instead of shooting, which Quinn would hate to, to hear that, but uh, it's, it's something that, that really energizes me, and um, like I said, that's what we, why we came public in the first place, was, was not for us, we, we're very lucky financially, and uh, the position we're in to, to do whatever we need for Jacob, and um, the reason we came out publicly was, was to help other people.
1: So we know you spoke about potentially having a, a coffee cafe and a gym because of your wife, something that we might see some form of Engels Autism Center in years to come? Yes, yeah,
3: it's, it's definitely been thrown around and uh, we're, we're very lucky with the charity. We're we're partnered with 4ASD Kids in Australia and what they do for, for other other kids and families with, with funding. Um, At the moment we fund schools to get more kids in um, or people can um, kind of write their own stories and and some families can get sponsored kind of individually if they're in in a position to. um, And then just recently we joined the board of Culture City um, who make arenas and venues sensory inclusive for everyone. So that's either with sensory rooms or training the staff that work there to be more capable I guess of, of helping a kid or a family um, with special needs if, if they're in the position so uh, Culture City's got 90% of the NBA teams on board and um, I don't want to ruin anything but I think there might be a little announcement coming today um, so we're on those two boards and seeing that stuff happen daily and being in these group emails and it's definitely something we've we've talked about And like I said financially before we're, we're very lucky that we can we can do that for jacob and putting in whatever we need there's so many families out there that, that aren't in that position and one of our goals is is like you said is to somehow and we've done so much research and there will be plenty more to be done of, of how we can open something that's affordable for like like what it is for a regular uh, regular school fees we pay 10 15 times more a year than we do for, for Miller school um so, trying to make it more affordable, and um, there's definitely a, long, a long-term goal because it's, you know, it's something that really has to be worked through with governments and and all that. But it's definitely a goal of ours is to to make this more affordable for for the, the people that that can't afford to do
0: it. It's a uh... Autism Awareness Day, the 13th annual Autism Awareness Day, and Joe, we hear if we hear your answers, we get an idea of how much time and energy you're putting into this, and and how it makes you feel as you see the results. And I'm curious, we've seen your teammates, at least publicly, who knows what they're doing privately, but at least publicly, we've seen some of your teammates start to take steps, and you know and they're younger than you, and they're different. Point in their life and all that, but start to take steps. Do you ever talk to them and encourage them to do stuff because of the positive impact it's having on you, or is that kind of a, a no-go area
3: between teammates? No, definitely, it's something that we um, we. I mean, we're we're. I mean, you guys all know, and the Jazz fans know how lucky this, this community is. I guess to have such a, an unbelievable team, and, and I don't mean that in, in a basketball sense because because basketball is basketball, and that's that's great, but the guy like what Rudy does with his foundation, Donovan with his donations that he's made, I don't think he's got a foundation or anything charity-wide that he's doing, but he donates an unbelievable amount of stuff to kids and families. Obviously, he's recently just done the um, stuff for school kids that are missing out on lunches and stuff. And um, We've got so many, I could go through probably every player, but those obviously are our two best players, so they come to mind pretty quickly and um, what Ricky was doing it's just a it, we're so lucky to be to have the guys that we've had that, that are so good in the community and, and want to help it's it's it takes away all basketball egos and puts you right back kind of to when you're a kid if you were affected by something or your family you would have loved to be able to get some support or, or assistance if you needed and we're, we're lucky we've got guys like that. We we talk about it all the time. Obviously, we all support each other's um, kind of endeavours of what what they're doing. The guy, obviously, with with me, the guys have worn shoes before, and um, they're unbelievably supportive of, of Jacob and our family and what we do. And um, I mean, no one ever see kind of behind the scenes of when I was actually going through the the diagnosis process of. of the guys having my back and the coaching staff, and I've, I've obviously said it about the, the jazz organization. So, um, Yeah, we, we, the, I think the the jazz community is, is very lucky of, of the guys they've got, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a special time and obviously a special group um, that, that's so committed to doing that.
1: So that an announcement you uh, were referred to would that be that? The Culture City and the Jazz and Vivint Smart Home Arena have partnered to make all events at Vivint Smart Home Arena sensory inclusive. That, that might be it. Is that public? Yes. I'm looking at a press release <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going <laughs> to... I didn't want to ruin... Uh, I didn't know when
3: it was coming out.
1: But, uh,
3: yeah, we we obviously like that is on, are on the board, and our goal is... Um, is to make every NBA venue, obviously being an NBA player, is to make every NBA arena um, sensory inclusive. So, like I said, not every every stadium has a room because um, some of these stadiums have been around forever and the rooms are all taken. But um, we're lucky we've got one at the the Joe's facility at Vivint Smart Home. Yeah, now now it's obviously all the staff have also been trained. Um, just just to help out, I, I Garrett Gardunia, who's our head of um, PR, as you guys know, sent me through his certificate the other day of of him doing it. So it's, so everyone's getting on board and doing it. And Culture Cities is unbelievable uh, at what they do. So um, I'm also going to be on the NBA Instagram live today at about one o'clock, talking about it again um, with with one of the directors of, of Culture Cities. Uh, it's an exciting time, we want to be the first sport to have every every arena inclusive, and um, we're well on the way to doing that.
1: Oh, before you go, give my love to Renai and the kids, okay? <laughs> oh my
3: golly gosh. I can, <laughs> I can hear him upstairs, I can hear him upstairs now. Gage is actually doing therapy right, he's doing, you know, therapy while this um, stuff's going on, so it's his last couple of days, and then um, yeah, everything's basically shut down after that. So they are, uh, I'll make sure I pass it on.
0: <laughs> Joe, as always, we appreciate it and uh, good luck with all your work in the community.
3: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Joe Ingalls joining us. His weekly visit just happening to fall on National Autism Day, the 13th annual. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone.